And welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. This is John Vibes. I'm joined today by Matt Savoy and Johnny Liberty. We're going to talk about everything going on with Venezuela. And uh, we're going to also talk about the divide and conquer of the week because that's been the whole hype in the news with the MAGA hat kids as they've come to be known as. But we're not going to dissect that issue and... Uh, put blame on anybody or really do any of that because there's enough of that and we honestly probably even have uh, different views among us but we're we're going to get into is why this has taken center stage when there's so much going on how it's taken center stage and how it is kind of a uh, a lens which we could see the whole political landscape currently of the past couple of years through this one issue and there was an article I think it was the New York Times put it out called the Covington Scissor, which kind of got into how these scissor issues, as uh, one researcher called them, are exacerbated by social media algorithms that kind of just show people what they want and these echo chambers that are created. And also the fact that pundits know that they get more clicks, views and money when they kind of capitalize on this divide and conquer. Yeah, and that's exactly their their modus operandi. And um, for our, our listeners out there, we have a special guest joining us today. His name's Johnny Liberty. He's a uh, huge part of the Free Thought Project. If you've ever shared one of our super viral memes or videos online, there's a good chance that uh, that it was him that had made it. And uh, we'd like to welcome Johnny for the first time on onto the podcast. Hey guys, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, Johnny. Uh, what is your take on this uh, on this MAGA hat divide that we're seeing uh, pushed out into the media currently? Oh, I think it's just the typical divide and conquer. You know, we see it, you know, day in and day out every week to the point where it's become, a, you know, I, I came up with a viral meme template for it that I can just go back two weeks, one week, talk about the issue and then sort of just come up with a punchline about what I wonder what everybody's going to get mad at next week and never fails. I could make one of those pretty much every week if I wanted to. Yeah, that's right, man. It's like they, they this is a, almost a weekly thing where there's some stupid non-story that's shoved down Americans' throats to create divide and um and and draw traffic to these websites that that push the divide. And what's what's kind of scary is that this is actually what Jason Bassler and I were talking about this the other day. This this they're getting much better at this at 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 turning these stories and spinning them into their into counter narratives like john vibe said a scissor there's this is done so well now that there's actually a term for it a scissor for the obvious reference that it's cutting society in half there's there's these issues are getting so divisive even though they're not at all divisive but they're getting so divisive that they they cut society in half everything into two arguments and one side vehemently opposes one argument and the other side vehemently supports it and these people don't care about what the other person's wanting to say. They don't care if they're right or wrong. They just know that they're on in this war and they have to defend this side because that's what they're told by their TVs and by their newspapers that they read. Yeah, and sadly, uh, you know, with we live in a pundit-dominated media anymore where everyone's taking a side. And, you know, it used to be the news, you would watch the news and then they would tell you what happened and you sort of thought about, you know, what you felt about it. And now anymore, it seems like the more the pundit-driven media comes into play, anymore the news is telling you how to feel about something, and then you kind of even have to determine if it even happened in the first place. Yeah, it's literally like it tells people what to think, and, and you can tell how the both sides are going to react. You can predict how both sides are going to react based on any given issue. And it's and like I said, it's like this this war that they're they're taught. It's a uh, it's like a winter perish fight where the they have to prove their case against the other case and and no matter if they're wrong or right as this 
MAGA hat kids um, story proved, you know, no one was really wrong or right there. I mean, the kid staring at the Native American guy was was creepy and weird, but it wasn't certainly wasn't like a display of racism and disrespect. I mean, if you watch the whole video, the Nathan Phillips, the Native American guy, uh, actually approached the kid and just started drumming in front of him. And it was kind of like a non-story, but it, it made people call for the death of children on, on social media, which is, is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think there's there's more to it than this actual situation, and I think it kind of speaks to what's going on. So you say it's definitely a non-story. Nothing happened as far as violence or you know anything like that. Um, but there is a lot of symbolism here. You know what I'm saying? Like those kids represent a lot to a lot of people, just like Nathan Phillips represents a lot to a lot of people. And all the issues and the arguments that people are having honestly have nothing to do with that kid and Nathan Phillips. It has to do with all this baggage surrounding privileged Catholic school kids, uh, I guess, as the one side would see it. And then the other side would see um, a native group that they don't have respect for their culture or whatever. You know what I mean? So there's like these two sides that you know are going to be um, stoking a lot of emotion in people. So when these people are arguing about what happened in the video, they don't care about what happened in the video. They just see that there's a war going on between these two sides, and the kids are symbolic of their enemy. You know what I'm saying? And and I would say most of the hostility wasn't necessarily on, on the right, I guess, wasn't directed towards the natives themselves, more so the, the media depictions of the situation. Um, but But yeah, I think that it is so much more of the the symbolism of these situations and what they represent to people than the actual events themselves. I agree completely. I was going to say that the symbolism, this kid's wearing a MAGA hat, which now is like the, the epitome for the left anyway, is the epitome of, of everything vile and wrong with America. And, um, you know, some people compare it to the swastika, which is, which is utterly ridiculous. I mean, Swastika represents the death of tyrannical regime who killed millions of people. And I mean, yeah, it, it, the MAGA hat is just a cheesy slogan. And some people said that, yeah, the MAGA statement is is like how Hitler started and all that. But I mean, until we start getting lined up on trains and such, you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment on the silly slogan of the blowhard president. So what this showed, like how they they hyped up both sides on this, it actually got the left interested in native american rights you know they've been they've been utterly silent over the last well forever and on um on so many of these these plights suffered by the native american people like the fact that they're the number one race to be killed by police in this country they uh they were silent on the the beatings and and shootings at at uh, standing rock as the native american tribes tried to protect their their land from you know from eminent domain being seized by the state to run oil pipelines over it there's uh there's so many things that, that, that these people never got outraged over i mean a native american man uh jordan stevens was beaten to death by 10 cops on video he was in jail for being unable to pay a disorderly conduct fine and he was in jail and he was beaten to death on video by 10 cops and no one was charged and this is the government doing this literally killing somebody on video and no one was charged and there was zero outrage and now this 15 year old little punk kid from from kentucky stares at this this native american nathan phillips and um and the world is outraged and this is hate and this is this is terrible and this needs to be stood up against and that symbolism is so backwards that it's uh it's it's crazy and i think that Hopefully people come around to that. You know, the guy staring at the people is not nearly as bad as, as 10 cops beating a Native American man to death and getting away with it. Yeah, and I just want to add to uh, what you guys were talking about with the symbolism. It's funny as we've seen this divisive media sort of take hold in this pundit-driven media. Um, you know, you've seen both sides coming out with, uh, you know, more and more extreme rhetoric where you, I mean, you now have news outlets on the left or the quote-unquote left, talking about all white people are racist and, I mean, just really stoking hate on their side. And on the right side, you, ever since 
that became a popular narrative. The right and the whole make America great again and all that has sort of been a reaction to it. And it's almost completely devolved into a social media culture war that has been orchestrated by pundit-driven and extremist-driven media. Yeah, and I will kind of speak to the whole MAGA hat thing because I I do think it is hyperbolic to compare it to a white hood as that actress did. However, I do think it's a unique thing, and I do think it's important to kind of recognize the, the whole Trump thing as being extremely unique in American politics ever. Comparing it to Hitler, definitely hyperbolic at this point. There was a a weird thing for Obama because he was the first black president. And you definitely saw a little bit of a cult kind of a worship with him. But this is the first time where you wear president stuff just to trigger people. That element where it's like almost a troll kind of in some ways, it's just very weird. And I think it's something that's worth examining. I don't necessarily know how I feel about the MAGA hat phenomenon, but I definitely think it's something that is unique in American culture, and it ties a a certain part of American culture together with American politics that I have never seen in my life. And I, I think that a lot of people are confused by it and probably reacting in an extreme way to it because of that, but I'm confused by it too. It's like what Johnny just said, how there's it's been now acceptable to declare all people of the white who who have white skin as racist. It's now acceptable to say that that people with any different color skin besides white cannot be racist. So these ideas have kind of polarized society in such a way that it's made like what like it made it's made conservatives the counterculture. So whereas the liberals who used to be anti-war and, um, you know, and pro civil rights and all that they've kind of flipped on that and they want to silence everybody you know they're it's like they no longer stand for free speech for all i mean i'm generalizing here that i'm talking about the extreme left that 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 does shut the people down and want to take away their free speech so it's actually created a counterculture from the right and which is so odd to see like the religious right being the counterculture in the country because of these these different moves and tactics by the extreme left of of making these crazy assertions and, and outright racist statements and, and and so it's driven people into the groups and now the the majority is is of society i believe is left wing so they they see these maga hats and stuff like that as a as a threat to their way of thinking and and i mean rightfully so they they want to oppose that and so they see it as this symbol of hate and everything else and i mean i'm not saying it's rightfully so that it is a hate symbol i mean there's some there's a lot of great people out there that probably wear maga hats that just you know they got they're probably really good people that got duped into supporting donald trump and there you know there are probably very hateful people out there that wear maga hats and they're they're probably really racist and they probably do stand for all the things that some of these uh the people think it does stand for and then there are some who probably actually use it as a dog whistle, too, as some people claim. But it's not everybody. You know what I'm saying? And that's a lot of the problems with a lot of the generalizations that are made is like it doesn't make you an innocent martyr wearing one and it doesn't make you Hitler right away. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of different people. You know, I know that there's plenty of people who I know personally who have talked recently about wearing them just as a troll. And, of course, I'm horrified by just even the idea of both supporting Trump and stoking division just for a laugh. But, you know, you never know what's what's going on. But I definitely think it's it's a very unique thing. And I think we're going into an interesting time because this whole thing is not it's not going to stop at Trump. And I, I, I saw an interesting article this week that was comparing Trump with Casey Cortez. Uh, a- yeah, AOC, as she's known. Um, she is basically just the leftist Trump, and they are using the same tactics uh, to harness these bases that were not really in the political sphere before. Like, they're they're reaching for the outsiders in their sphere, and they're using social media to do it. They're, they're stepping outside of what it used to mean to be a politician as far as properness is concerned. They're 
dropping profanity. Um, they're making jokes. They're making constant references to pop culture. And it's pretty interesting. Trump on social media, his his reactions and interactions and following it was is much bigger than Obama's ever was, right? Um, and however, so is hers. AOC has a bigger uh, social media presence than Obama ever did, apparently, uh, according to this New York Post article that I read this week, um, which is crazy to think because she's just a new congresswoman, and he was the president of the United States for eight years. So something is changing with how politicians interact with the culture at large. And, you know, in the past, of course, it was always focusing on these wedge issues to divide people. However, it's definitely taken a whole new form where it's gotten way more vitriolic. And there are politicians who are seeing that, and i definitely taken advantage of it. I think politics is just sort of uh, slipping, as you were saying, it's getting more vitriolic. And it's every time I see a MAGA hat or people supporting Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I kind of just laugh and I, I look at it all. And uh, it just reminds me of idiocracy. And Mike Judge, I got to say, that dude was a prophet because he totally called it. And the longer, the longer I sit and watch this this whole shit show, I, I just can't help but laugh and see that idiocracy really was a documentary. No kidding, man. He actually came out a couple of years ago and 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 said, you know, it, that idiocracy wasn't supposed to be a, uh, a documentary or an instruction manual, but it's it's becoming figuratively historically accurate. Yeah, I mean, we got a meme for president. And I don't think that that's going to change ever again. Like, I don't know if we're going back to, to that. And, I, you know, honestly, I think that there are some good things about that and there are some bad things about that. I mean, the good things about that is that the office of the president will uh, have less and less respect, which I think is good. Because, I mean, I think Trump has done a lot to discredit the office of president and just the, the establishment of government to begin with in a lot of ways. Even though some people are dug down, like he has proven that it's the whole thing is an illusion and any idiot can get in. Like any terrible idiot with just a whole bunch of opportunities could get in there, you know, uh, with a whole bunch of money or a whole bunch of connections. You could do it even if everybody hates you. So I, I feel like. I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I, I definitely feel like this social media crazy mouthy uh, Comancho Mountain Dew president is here to stay. Nothing sums it up better than the president of the United States serving McDonald's to the Clemson football team after they won a national championship. You're right. That was so symbolic of this entire situation that we're talking about. So this is the problem I foresee. I like I, I agree with you vibes on how I think that this will these shitty tactics of being social media trolls as politicians is going to is is probably going to take away from the credibility and, and make it harder to respect politicians. But I think it's also going to lead to both sides trying to silence the other as in. You know, they, like they're going to say something wrong on social media. It's going to be somebody's going to maybe act on that information, maybe put Trump stickers on the van and send pipe bombs to other politicians or CNN people. And um, and then some event is going to make it uh, to where like they're going to they're going to problem reaction solution. Or the, the, the problem is going to be some event and the government's going to pose or going to react to it with a potential solution, which is just going to be massive censorship and and shutting everybody else down that that's not a troll politician or agrees with one of the sides of the troll politicians or something like that you know i think that that that's where the next where this kind of political fuckery leads to we're seeing that exact that exact narrative play out right now with the whole russian hacking hysteria i mean that's been that's been used to silence hundreds of journalists and activists and delete pages and, I mean, just flat-out censor people. And even with this Covington thing, the, the MAGA hat kids, this issue has them all taught there. I've seen a whole bunch of different op-eds. We need to calling on journalists to stop using Twitter. And the person who posted the original video, um, like, that was just, like, a short video that was 
only a minute or so long because that's the limit that Twitter allows. It only allows you to do like a minute or two long videos. So that person who posted that original video had their account deleted or suspended or whatever over this issue. So, I mean, here's somebody, if it isn't some crazy setup or something like that, let's just take everything at face value. Here's somebody at a protest taking a snippet video of a protest, posting it online. Like, this is supposed to be what social media is for in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, Jack Dorsey just gave that interview in Rolling Stone where he's talking about how he's a punk rock and he's for the he's a punk rocker and he's for the activists and he's a hacker and all this stuff. Speaking of Jack Dorsey, like you said that he's all for the people and and he's an activist and a hacker and we all know, you know, how big of a lie that is because of what the what Twitter did to us in in October, us and and dozens of other independent media outlets who actually are activists and and not even hackers but just activists who try to push for peace and freedom for everybody without regardless of race or skin color or political affiliation jack dorsey is nothing like that at all and none of these platforms are anymore and that's why they're so they're they're starting to bow down to government regulations and we just heard this week that uh or last week that Facebook has no problem now being regulated and uh, which that could go two different ways. You know, that could either help free speech or hinder it because, uh, you know, I, but I, I mean, I tend to think that, that regulating the government regulation always leads to like worse privatized businesses. So we'll see how that plays out if they do actually move in. I mean, they, they kind of already are regulating it. We already see the, the think tanks like the Atlantic council and, and uh, involved and and like Johnny Liberty put out a meme over the weekend where there's a, a dozen high level Facebook employees who are former high level State Department officials and former like security experts for the government that were government employees and now they all work for Facebook and th- this is uh, what's worrisome and this is why I think that the two party pandering social media crazy politicians on social media stuff is going to lead to the censorship because we're already seeing it you know and. Voices like ours will become a even bigger uh, threat because we have no problem calling out the the idiocracy on both sides of this, and so that once we show that the emperor has no clothes, that's what they want to stop. I mean, you can see it right now. We're talking um, we're talking about the MAGA hat stuff in a different light than everybody else, and we also coincidentally Venezuela is a huge thing in the media right now, but. Um, Nobody in the media is talking about the negative consequences of what the United States is doing in Venezuela right now, except for independent media. Everybody else, like the 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 left, has come you know full circle and they're praising Trump for his, his support of uh, this unelected Venezuelan president, or the man that they say is the unelected uh, Venezuela president, and no one's questioning that except for alternative media and. The, there's a lot to be questioned. I'm Johnny. You, you're pretty uh, informed on the situation. Uh, what's what's your what's your opinion on what's going on in uh, Venezuela right now? Well, I can pretty much guarantee that uh, as soon as I say this, I'm going to catch a 30 day ban on Facebook because I will oppose any government narrative on it. But uh, I mean, you really just have to look back. I mean, most people don't really, you know, they get their information spoon-fed to them from the media and sort of whatever the media says is kind of what they go with, and that's the popular narrative. And when we come out with an alternative narrative where we actually put things under a microscope and really, you know, really examine it, a lot of times, in most cases, we end up opposing the state's narrative, which, as we've seen, has disastrous consequences for us. And what we've been doing... What we've been seeing is every time we oppose that narrative, we get silenced. And if you really put Venezuela under a microscope over, a, you can look at it from all 200 years of U.S. history, the United States has been involving itself in the affairs of South American countries for uh, ever since the Monroe Doctrine in the 1800s. There have been multiple coup attempts dating back to 1945 in Venezuela. I believe it's about five or six coup attempts. And the United States has routinely just opposed socialist regimes outright. And you don't really need, I mean, you can go back 50, 60 years of U.S. history and look at U.S. involvement in socialist countries and see that 
I believe it was called the domino effect is what uh, the United States declared it in the 1960s, where they basically thought if, if socialism took root in one country, it might actually expand. And because of that, that theory, we've been involving ourselves in Venezuela and Cuba and launching coups and everything. And uh, it's just kind of funny that if people actually oppose these policies, you know, everybody's talking about this wall and we need to build a wall right now. But if you really put what your government does under a microscope and started opposing these coups, opposing economic sanctions that are just disastrous. They killed a half a million children in Iraq. And if you start opposing these policies, no one would be crossing the border to begin with. Exactly, Johnny. Exactly, man. That's the uh, U.S. interventionism in in South America, South and Central America are is the number one driving force for mass migration into the United States. If we, we, we create these, these, uh, shithole countries like Donald Trump likes to say, and we send people like we turn their countries into crime ridden war zones where they're ruled by corrupt government officials and drug cartels through the drug war and through these interventionisms in which they, they tackle these socialist regimes just because we're pointing out that the U.S. goes after socialist regimes doesn't mean we're standing up for socialism. OK, I know that that's a lot. A lot of people might think that. But we just want to I just want to be clear that the, the U.S. oftentimes goes after these socialist countries because it's it's harder for the, the financial interests of the United States, the private financial interests of the United States to exploit these countries when they have socialist governments. So the U.S. will put sanctions on them, which will drive the countries into poverty and, and oftentimes civil war. And this, the, the, uh, I mean, sanctions, like Johnny said, they, they, they literally kill people. There's billions of dollars being held from Venezuela right now as their citizens starve to death that this money could be using to feed them and, and try to grow this infrastructure. But the, the but U.S. sanctions are holding this money. And deliberately starving these these people to death in their own country you know the the plight suffered by the venezuelans right now is is not 100 percent because of socialism there's a there's a large sector on even in the libertarian uh movement uh that thinks that that venezuela's plight is all because of socialism and it's that's just simply not true you know there's there's been decades of 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 hardcore sanctions on this country that's driven it into poverty and and just been hell to deny that is just irresponsible and people should, you know, we should start looking at it the other way. And if you're really worried about illegal immigration, then yeah, we need to stop this interventionism in South America. And I mean, it looks, look at what happens in, in the Middle East when the U.S. invades countries in the Middle East and intervenes in countries in the Middle East. It creates the migrant crises that we see in Europe and all the surrounding countries. You know, there weren't six million people trying to get out of uh, Syria until the U.S. started bombing them. And funding ISIS in the country, and that's what that's what created these refugees. It wasn't because these people want to take over our country and move in here and rape our women. It's because their fucking apartment building was drone bombed by a Hellfire missile, and they have nowhere to live. And that's what's going to happen in Venezuela. I mean, Venezuela already has a mass exodus of millions of people. If the the U.S. intervenes, it's going to be way fucking worse, and no wall is going to stop that. These people are going to be, I mean, they're going to be coming over here and they're going to be hungry and they're going to, they're going to need food and shelter and everything else. And the people chanting Trump's policy of interventionism in Venezuela right now will be largely responsible for that. Yeah, if he does get involved in Venezuela, like there's actual, you know, either more sanctions or anything like that. It's, it's going to spell disaster for that country regardless. And there's one of the great ironies of, you know, the support for the wall is that you remember the migrant the the migrant caravan a couple of months ago was a big deal and it was used to stoke fear and they were they were invading but most of those migrants were coming from Honduras and all you got to do is really just run a quick google search for you know Honduras over the past 15 years and you'll see that Hillary Clinton who you know Trump supporters seem to really hate she assisted a coup in Honduras now, you would think if you oppose Hillary so much, you would say, okay, maybe the migrants aren't the problem here. Maybe Hillary is the problem, and we need to do something about that. But again, we just see, as with Trump supporters, they don't seem to be too much different than the left. They just parrot the narrative that they're being spoon-fed. And for people who criticize Hillary Clinton and her policies so hard, they didn't say jack shit about that. 
Yeah, and this goes back to the original uh, MAGA movement, which started under Ronald Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan was the first guy to say, make America great again. But, you know, starting with Ronald Reagan and continuing through every single president, uh, the U.S. has been funding these extremist military regimes in, in all these countries like in El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua. They've effectively been turning these countries into slave states and, and criminal and cartel states. And no one wants to admit that, you know, this would have been Hillary Clinton's policy as well. And, and this, it's not a coincidence that it's also Donald Trump's now. Yeah, I'm kind of just curious. Uh, uh, do you guys want to start a pool on, uh, you know, five or ten years from now if Donald Trump gets caught trafficking cocaine for uh, the Ven- some Venezuelan regime? <laughs> I know, right? Well, Nicolas Madero's son um, also was caught a while back uh, trafficking cocaine, right? Yeah, I think that did happen. And, you know, with this whole issue, you can see, like, as you were saying earlier, with even, uh, you know, conservatives and even libertarians, they fall into this trap of just making it about the ideology instead of actually looking at what is happening in the specifics of the situation. They say, oh, that's a socialist country. I'm against socialism. That's all that's going on here. And even with the left, uh, they see that there's a dictator over there that uh, is against uh, certain human rights and there are certain human rights violations, so they're all, oh, we got to take him out. And that's always the way that they look at it. And, and then they say, oh, if you're, if you're against our intervention, then you're for the dictator or something like that. And I, I feel like most of those opinions are coming from people who don't actually live in those areas. You know what I mean? Um, for I, when I tried to look at a Venezuelan perspective on this, they just want foreign interests to stay out and they're like you know we know it's a mess here but we're taking care of it you know you're just going to make it worse and i i think that that was the sentiment throughout the middle east and whenever you see these people paraded on the news saying oh america come to help us nine times out of ten they're rebels that are getting piles of money and guns from the u.s government because they want to be in charge and be the next dictator well yeah and just to uh you know go over it again you know it socialist countries do tend to be pretty unfairly uh, cracked down on by the United States. And that's not a defense of socialism, as Matt said. It just tends to be the way it is. It has been since the 50s. Again, the United States, uh, the domino theory, they just did not allow. That's why we had the Vietnam War. It's why we had the Korean War. This has been a staple of U.S. foreign policy for the better part of 60 years. Again, it's not a defense of socialism simply because all these countries do have their own problems. Venezuela they fall into what economists call their, you know, obviously everybody knows that Venezuela has the world's largest oil reserves, which makes them a petro state. And there's petro states all over the world, but we don't see them failing. You know, we don't see Saudi Arabia failing because they're favored by the United States, which any action in Venezuela, you know, you can kind of assume that the United States wants to step in there. But these states are failing because of what economists call the Dutch disease, where they go through this ebb and flow where the economy starts doing well because the free market comes in and there's investment and the markets are allowed to flourish. But with the free market also comes, you know, a degree of exploitation and foreign countries taking your resources. So then there's a counter movement to that that comes in and they nationalize oil like they did back in the 70s. And it sort of goes, you know, the ebb and flow. And that's not the only reason either. Oil, again, being a petro state, the price of oil fluctuates with global markets. So as oil booms, so does the economy. That's when you tend to see more nationalization, more state favored, uh, more state favored policies as opposed to free market policies. Now, with the United States getting involved again, one can only assume that free market policies, you know, it, it sounds like Venezuela needs some freedom and democracy. Exactly. And this is already happening. Um, just today, there's a report out of Mint Press News that uh, it's it's really good um, by Ben Norton. And it's it's it highlights that this uh, this U.S. backed coup leader, um, Juan Guaido, I'm not I'm probably butchering that last name. But uh, last week, I kind of predicted why this was going on. It's not like a prediction. I mean, it's just an analysis. Everybody else that's uh, that sees outside of this, um, the U.S. freedom spreading, as you just said, um, can can see this. And uh, it's because, like you said, that Venezuela is sitting on 297 billion barrels of oil, which is the largest in the world. They're also sitting on a massive gold mine. And the the West is chomping at the bit to turn their country into a U.S. puppet country like everywhere else that they that they instill these um, dictators and 
like puppet leaders. And so Juan Guaido, he actually, after he was um, officially recognized by the West as the interim president of Venezuela, within just 48 hours, he, he's already tried to seize control of the um, the oil refineries and all the Venezuelan's country's oil. And and also, he's to fund all this work, he's he's going directly to the IMF. Now, for those who might not be familiar, the International Monetary Fund is a it's a it's a world lender that that a, 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 like a central bank for kind of not not exactly like the Federal Reserve, but a world lender that kind of whenever the IMF comes into your country, they they lend you money and then you're forever indebted to them that you can't get out of it. There are billions of dollars in loans that you can never pay back. But that's exactly what's happening to what or what's about to happen to Venezuela if. Uh, Juan Guaido comes in there, and he's already showing that he's already going to the IMF to get money, and he's already trying to uh, take over the country's state-owned oil company. You know, and then it'll be gold after that, and then they'll they'll have their freedom by then, and all the special interests that the U.S. sent our troops in there to take over the country for will have their their day of reckoning. Yeah, and as we've seen before, you know, it's a it's a pretty popular recipe, and this is actually why Maduro is one reason why he's not liked by the West was because I believe it was uh, or not Maduro, but the the leader of Venezuela and his regime, which was uh, previously run by Hugo Chavez, I believe it was in two thousand and seven, Venezuela stopped. Uh, they they cut the IMF off. They cut off all relations with the IMF because of that very reason, and. Uh, Back in there, back in that time, there was, uh, you know, reports out of many other countries where they privatized water. Now, you know, privatized under government control, as we know, isn't completely a free market, but they privatize resources. They come in and they extract these resources, sort of like Nestle does with California, where these companies come in and extract a huge toll. They pollute, and at the end of it, the people are left screwed. And again, this is, you know, why we see so many nationalist policies taking, you know, root in these countries is because people just get tired of getting screwed over by corporations. And this dates back to, you know, United Fruit going back, what are we talking, 60 years. So this is nothing new that's happening. Right. This is what also leads to people around the world hating capitalism. They think that this is uh, the free market at play here in Venezuela and in other places, but it's, it's not at all what that is. This is, this is corrupt government interference. That's installing a corporatist friendly puppet that they can use to exploit the natural resources of a country that, but they were taken over by the state and, and, and be, and given to foreign actors all over the world. This is, that's not, that's not capitalism. Capitalism, they'd have to voluntarily go in there and work out deals and, and try to, you know, to, to achieve a trade uh, equilibrium, but that's not what's happening. There's not going to be any equilibrium when the powers that be take over Venezuela and start, you know, raping the resources of the country. No, very, very little when it comes to topics like this do we see equilibrium. You know, you you can look around now and every, you know, every Democrat or even Republican, you know, for a long time back in uh, 506 around there when oil prices were doing really, really well. Venezuela was a booming country and they had nationalized their oil and they were actually doing very well and socialists were so quick to jump on that and take credit for it and everything. Now it's the exact opposite. Like they completely ignore it. They say, oh, and you know, there's support for overthrowing Maduro amongst the left because of that reason. Oh, he ruined it. And that's, he didn't do socialism right. And that's not real socialism and all that. And the same thing happens when you see, uh, you know, people defend capitalism, but they also, you know, when it comes in, they'll be the first one to point out, well, that's not real capitalism because of X, Y, and Z. And everybody gets so polarized on the issue that very, 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 very rarely do you see any equilibrium or any sort of, you know, agreement on this topic. Yeah, and I've found that most of these systems are nothing like the f- theories that they claim to adhere to. Like, the, across the world, they're all dictatorships. None of them are capitalists or socialists. They're all dictatorships that have a certain amount of qualities of capitalism or a certain amount of qualities of socialism. And if you have more of one than the other, then you call it that. But they're all just dictatorships. Um, you know. So I, I think that that's definitely something that people who identify as these things should understand. Because like you said, everybody always tries to 
defend their ideology or uh, add some type of news as a piece of credibility to their ideology. Um, when in reality, in these situations, it's always way more deeper. It's way deeper and more nuanced than just capitalism versus socialism because most of the time the uh the faults uh that exist are 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 way deeper than that and involve all these global actors and the things that the governments ascribe names to are often nothing uh, uh like they are in reality you know we have the patriot act and we have the uh the free trade agreements which are not free trade at all you know they're corporations controlling the trade not allowing any small businesses in and dominating everything and then they call that capitalism and then people hate that and then you have um you know socialist dictators and then they call that socialism and then people hate that and it's just i i feel like under those circumstances it's impossible for uh anybody to understand even what's going on or have a conversation about it yeah i agree uh like that for Maduro, for example, he is a um, he's a terrible, <laughs> terrible president of Venezuela. You know, he we could even call him a socialist dictator if we look at all the controversy surrounding his uh, quote election unquote. Um, then we could, you know, then then all kinds of in, uh, discrepancies arise. There was a uh, the history of Maduro coming into power is is rife with with corruption, and that's why it's so highly disputed, and that's why it's kind of an easy target right now for. The United States, you know, the there's a lot of Venezuelans that actually support Juan uh, Guaido, and um, and they're you know they're moving to put him in, but that's because they 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 hate uh, Nicolas Maduro even more, you know, and then and, and so Juan looks like the resistance. And shoot, he he may very well be. I'm not a uh, I don't know his his history. This guy just came out of like nowhere. He was elected to this constitutional governed uh, entity that like goes alongside with the president of Venezuela. And, and so there's been all these disputes with the, the Venezuelan Supreme court going back and forth. And supposedly they, they pulled Maduro out of power. And that's why this other guy uh, just um, assumed himself to be the president. And so there's, it's, it's way deeper than, than, um, than what the United States is, is telling everybody. But, uh, but yeah, on the the surface, it's true. I mean, you can't oppose Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. I mean, look what happened um, in 2015, I believe, when they had a large resistance to him. The he went in there and after disarming the entire population, he went in there and armed everybody who was loyal to the Maduro his his regime. So it effectively created an army of of people that had guns and that supported him uh, against the entire unarmed population who didn't have guns. And, um, and that, which was a, was, which was hell for those people. Yeah. And just to uh, add to that, you know, what Maduro has done is, you know, he, he's not the first either, you know, this really all started under Chavez. Chavez took power, you know, with a huge swell of populist support and it didn't, it was only within a few years he started instilling corrupt judges They've weakened corruption laws. Uh, Venezuela is, it's peak government really is what it is. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's like textbook dictator right there is that kind of move. And it's definitely going to be ugly, I guess you could say. And then there's the whole thing with this whole Petro crypto thing too, which I've been covering a little bit uh, for my articles at the Crypto Globe. And it's it's basically just this massive scam token that they've created as their national currency. And it's like this centralized cryptocurrency. And uh, it basically it's a copy of the dash code with a, a, a couple of tweaks. So it's, um, you know, centralized for their purpose and allegedly based on a variety of different uh resources not just oil it's apparently based on oil diamonds gold and some other stuff and he is constantly uh he, he's gonna he's done a different a couple of different timelines for it that have all gotten pushed back and the people in venezuela are rejecting it uh for the most part and they're continuing to use uh bitcoin dash stuff like that not the Venezuelan currency because of the hyperinflation. And that's super popular there. Uh, but the, they have 
tried to make other cryptocurrencies illegal, only make theirs legal, uh, and they've been trying to shut down mining operations. And then when they do, they confiscate all the equipment and they use it to mine, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's a, another interesting dynamic uh, that's going on over there that I think that would be interesting, too, because a lot of people think that it it's some kind of cover up for something, some kind of other uh, swindle that they're doing, which is very possible. You know, I think that there's a lot of potential in uh, blockchain technology if it's decentralized and it's done correctly, but it can be very, very ugly, I guess you could say, if it's put in the hands of a dictator who has all these plans of control for it. Yeah, and you got to look at why he was, uh, why he's actually created that uh, this cryptocurrency as well. I think it's the petrodollar is what it's called, right? And um, it's it's largely due to the U.S. sanctions on him that have given like Venezuelans no other choice, you know. And that's why so many uh, Venezuelans, do, the private private industry, use Dash and they use Bitcoin is because uh, their currency was effectively rendered worthless uh, due to U.S. sanctions, and um, so. A lot of this back and forth is is Venezuela um, fighting U.S. sanctions, so they're screwing over their people by devaluing the currency. But they, I mean, it's like they almost have no other choice. And um, so, like the they they the Venezuelans have a large gold deposits in the country, and um, they used to refine their gold in Switzerland. But as a move again, which the Switzerland is a West controlled area, so uh, as in response to fighting the U.S. sanctions, they moved it over to Turkey uh, last year, and not only are they refining it, but they're like they're press they're minting coins and such in in Turkey. And this was like a a huge move against U.S. sanctions because it it fought back against them and it made the U.S. dollar the weaponized U.S. dollar, which is used to to hurl these countries into poverty. It made it irrelevant. And so I think that is why we're we're seeing a uh, a similar push right now um, to to throw this this coup in in Venezuela. I mean it's it's so familiar with the the overthrow of Gaddafi in 2011. I mean Gaddafi was doing a very similar thing where he was taking back the power to to, to coin um, gold currency, which a gold backed currency, which was going to be used to operate outside of the U.S. controlled system that. Uh, that allows the sanctions to work on these countries. And, um, you know, just like what's going on now, they started talking about uh, humanitarian action in, in Libya because Gaddafi was a threat to his own people when, in actuality, um, um, Maduro is a far greater threat to his own people than I think Gaddafi was. Gaddafi was not a great person, but Libya was like a, a bastion of hope inside Africa. I mean, there were people going to colleges. I think the the... That, like it was like a fifty percent rate of of uh, Libyan citizens who were actually going to college, and they had a great infrastructure. And I mean, again, it wasn't perfect, but if you look at it now, it's um, you know, it's a there's there's fucking slaves being sold openly in in town squares and shit, or what's left of town squares now because uh, the U.S. led NATO intervention inside there. I mean, it, it turned the country into a hell state, and um, but it seems like that's the this. That's the count, the the go to move by the West is when the banking establishment or the 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 financial sector or anybody like that um, or the you know big oil is threatened by these other countries who can compete outside the U.S. controlled system, then they need some freedom over there. And um, you know, hopefully, we don't do what the U.S. doesn't do to Venezuela, what it did to Libya, because um, that would be utterly catastrophic for Venezuelans as well as anybody else around the area. And it could bring a whole new level of terrorism into South America, Central America, and then eventually into the southern border of the United States. And then people are going to want the wall to be 30 feet higher and probably start going underground when they realize that walls can be dug under. That'll, that'll be pretty funny. And just one thing that we always, that we got to keep in mind too, Venezuela did stop accepting dollars for for oil in 2017 and we all know what happens to countries that stop accepting dollars for oil they get freedom yeah i think those financial aspects play a huge role in all of this uh whether it's resources or whether it's a currency uh that isn't tied to the you know the global world trade network and all that yeah, it's it, it, they want everybody to be in their mafia, and if you are outside of their mafia, then 
they replace you with somebody who is. And that's not to say that the people that they replace aren't bad people, but then they just replace them again with more bad people. I think that uh, people, you know, if our listeners, if you're not keen on what's going on in Venezuela, please go do some research and and um, try to stop this support for a U.S. back coup in the country. It's uh, it needs to happen organically. The, the the citizens of Venezuela need to fight this off their own. Um, if we go in there, it's gonna be it's gonna be hell on earth for these people. And uh, we have a hundred percent track record of that could prove that. You know, every time the U.S. goes into a country, they're uh, within the last you know. 25 30 years there it's been it's been literal hell for that country so we need to resist this and and educate ourselves on what's really going on so we don't actually end up supporting something that could that could hurt a lot of people i just want to add that if you support the wall you think that donald trump needs to build a wall please don't support what's going on in venezuela because there's just going to be more people flocking to the border and as we all know the wall is not going to work. People come over a multitude of ways. The wall will not be effective. That being said, if you don't support the wall, please oppose what's going on in Venezuela because, again, it'll just be more people flocking to the border, and it's not something we, – we just it's just not a policy that we need to be supporting. We need to mind our own business. That's what Donald Trump ran on. That's what Barack Obama ran on. That's what many pro- presidents have ran on since Bill Clinton. And we need to basically follow in the footsteps of what some of the founding fathers said. George Washington was very anti-interventionist. We have politicians like Ron Paul, uh, Rand Paul, who uh, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey. We need to listen to these guys and not get involved in other countries anymore. Well said, Johnny. All right, everybody, and that'll be it for today. Please rate, review, subscribe to help us get seen in more people's feeds and subscribe the purge that we've recently experienced. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.